0: Welcome to the special presentation where we spotlight a podcast from the Love Thy Nerd community. Today, our spotlight is on Faith and Fandom with Hector Mirai. Enjoy.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith and Fandom Podcast. I'm excited to be joined today by Leonore Till. Um, do you want to introduce yourself in any specific way?
2: Sure, yeah, I play saxophone for Five Iron Frenzy. That's how most people know about me. And living in Denver, Colorado, mom of two, have a really cool husband, and yeah, living the dream here in Denver.
1: <laughs> um, you, like, FIF obviously, but is that fast feeling doing anything else?
2: Not really. We put out one album, but, you know, Five Iron takes so much of our life that that's the main, that's the main thing that we focus on.
1: Yeah. That's actually one of my daughter's favorite albums.
2: Oh, like, awesome.
1: She doesn't know that you're you from Five Iron. So right. it's a total disconnect. Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, outside of like, just jumping in outside of your personal uh, faith and your family, what is, what's the thing you're most passionate about in your life?
2: Um, I guess, I mean, one thing that I'm the most passionate about is Jesus. And so knowing Jesus and making his love known, um, the authenticity of that, and also the questioning and the failing in that, the concept that faith is fluid, that we're always growing, we're always um, learning, we're always struggling. And so the fact that you don't just arrive one day and that you're either on a path to becoming very much like a Pharisee and closing your eyes to new thoughts and new questions, or you're becoming more humble and um, more aware of your need for grace and for humility. So I think that that's something that I've been learning now that I'm in my 40s and my 30s. Unfortunately, I was more on a path to becoming a Pharisee, and so I've kind of tried to redirect some of that energy.
1: If you don't mind me asking, like, what, what did that path look like, the Pharisee path? like.
2: It, it looked really sneaky. I've used the, uh, the metaphor of, you know, with Charlie in the Chocolate Factory when he's with his grandpa at the factory and he's having the best time of his life drinking that fuzzy lifting drink and they're doing flips and they're having fun and life is good. I think that's where I was in my Christian walk when I noticed that I thought I was um, on cruise control in my faith. I thought I had pushed a button and that me and God were just going to drift into my old age and die and end up in heaven someday without any struggle. And I, you know, I remember mentoring young girls and I'd be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm on cruise control with God. We're, we're good. We figured it out. And that's when I was like, looked up and started seeing like the big fan that Charlie sees. <laughs> and I'm like, my head is about to get chopped off. I'm be- like, I'm running on fumes. I'm not on cruise control. And that's how I recognized that that audacity, that audacity that I had it figured out, that I was on a good path, that I had, you know, oh, I'm really hearing from God and the Holy Spirit, and I'm just, you know, I'm going to produce fruit here on out. Oh, man, what a lie. What a lie. And no sooner had I spoken those words that about a year later, my life started falling apart. And that was good because it made me have to reexamine and trust God in a new way. And so that's kind of in my 40s, that's kind of been the path of like, you do not have it together.
1: (laughs) That once you actually think you're in a comfortable place, that's the most danger. But now, now every time I picture like the whole Ascension, I'm going to picture the Charlie chocolate factory fans (laughs) like watching out for that. Um, What like piece of entertainment do you enjoy the most? Like in the broad spectrum of all forms of entertainment.
2: Yeah. Well, it's bad. It's really bad because I am a very self-sheltered person, meaning I've had, I come from kind of a gnarly background in a way, like not a lot of um, censorship. I was allowed to watch Cheech and Chong, listen to Two Life Crew. There wasn't any censorship in my life, right? And so as I got older and as I started to know God more, I self-censored. And my husband thinks it's ridiculous that I love true crime documentaries, hoarders, Judge Judy, uh, my 600-pound life, anything that is like, about a person's life being out of control, documentary, it has to be real. R. R. Kelly, right, I can watch all these for hours and the psychology of it and the human experience, but if you wanted me to watch like something rated R, oh no, oh no, I don't watch Game of Thrones, I don't watch a lot of uh, PG-13 things, it's, oh, Breaking Bad, no way, but real life stuff about like murderers, oh, I'm on it, I'm in there, I'm I'm, I'm binging.
1: Real life trauma and like <laughs> depravity are totally cool, but fictional. Absolutely,
2: That's, just, that's messed up. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so true though. I don't know why.
0: I don't well, know I,
2: why it's, it's the human experience. It's the thing that says, what was it that made this person choose this life or choose that choice or what hurt them? I'm, I'm fascinated by the psychology of it.
1: I mean, it's, it's not that it's weird or strange. The reality is learning more about the people who are around and the journeys that they're on helps us right. like actually see kind of a reflection of us. Someone's fictional tale of it, it might just be a little excess. Um,
2: yeah. And to me, it's not that interesting. What's really interesting is to see people change their lives. Like hoarders get a second chance and the ones that do, that do succeed are the ones that are losing weight on the 600 pound lifestyle. Like those, I've been really binging on those right now. And so that's fascinating to me to hear someone's story and overcome the odds. I don't know. I find it interesting. That's my entertainment. It's really kind of – and then this is another very warped piece, but you asked. I did. I did. When I, when I watch hoarders or when I watch certain shows, I'm not tempted to eat. I can't eat when I watch those shows are about murder because I don't, it's too much. And so I can't eat. So you can't just sit there. Like if I wa- watch like Shit's Creek, I'm eating nachos. I'm, you know, I'm eating. But if I'm watching something that's kind of disturbing, I'm like, oh, I don't want any food. It, no. <laughs> so that's kind of good too. It's
1: like involuntary diet. That's fantastic. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so out of all of your realistic entertainment, what's your favorite? Like your one favorite. If you Probably had to tell
2: Probably hoarders. Hoarders, I find fascinating. And I've actually been able to help some people clean out their hoarded houses. I I just find it, what is it that makes a person want a whole room of stuff they don't even have access to? I think it's something very psychologically interesting about that. Okay. I know.
1: (laughs) Is, Is there a favorite season of hoarders? Is there like an episode or someone specific story? I, I
2: I like the original Hoarders show, not the not the Hoarders Buried Alive, because I like the one where they only give them a few days. To me, when they have a few months, it it usually doesn't happen like they want. When they have a couple days, it's like you better get it done. And I love her name is Doctor Chabot. She's a, um, one of the psychologists that helps the hoarders, and I just love her approach and her. You know, she says she tells it like it is, but she's also somewhat compassionate. So I think she's an interesting character.
1: Okay. Um, Talking about just real life journeys and, you know, watching those people's growth in your life, what situation do you feel like, you know, not necessarily just pride, but like whether it's an individual situation or creation um, an experience that made you feel like you were most accomplished or satisfied or that like you could just literally stand before God and just be pleased with what you've done.
2: I guess it's a tiny thing. It's a tiny thing, but it's when my brother passed away. He was 20. I was 24. And it was the moment when I specifically remember the moment when I decided that I was at a crossroads. Like I I physically felt that I could choose to hate God or choose to love God at that moment. I felt like this is the one you could could use this as an excuse and as a cop-out and as a choice and as a reason to say I left that behind and I'm going down this path when my brother died, and I remember specifically deciding I was choosing the path of love. And so um, God's lovingness through other people, through nature, through joy, whatever it is, that all kept me on that path. It wasn't one thing, but a lot of different things. And so if I were to look back, um, I guess just the, the fact that I chose to trust him was, was big for me.
1: Have you felt like you've been at that level of crossroads since then?
2: No, not really, not really. I mean, absolutely not. Actually, no.
1: That's awesome. Um, you've been a leader in a lot of different capacities. Um, you want to talk about any of those leadership roles?
2: Sure. I don't really like that word. <laughs> <I'm> sorry, <laughs> I, what, it's, what? it's not a it's not a bad word. Here's the here's the issue with me. Um, I, I, I almost feel more like a shepherd than a leader. And a shepherd is there to care, care for their flock and, and recognize that um, there's always beautiful, beautiful fields in the beyond. There's always gorgeous mountains. There's beautiful meadows. And when you're in the flock and you're looking at all these other sheep and they're you know, pissing you off, they're, they're making you frustrated in your life, all these sheep. And then you look out there and you're like, that looks better out there. The job of the shepherd is not to force not to create a wall, not even to create a gate. There is no gate. The gate is completely open. If people want to come and go, fine. My job is to remind them that there is safety in this flock. And and the hard part is there's not always safety in this flock. The hard part is people in this flock hurt each other. And so my job is maybe to be a respite sometimes to people or to go search out and find which sheep is off by themselves and in danger. And so that's where I feel called. I always feel called to a lost sheep and um or the overlooked sheep. And so that's where I usually find myself. I don't um I don't like the idea of leadership because I don't want a conga line of people following me. I just want to help somebody get dusted off and see if we can you know help them back in the flock or help them know that they're loved and appreciated or just remind them from my own life experience you can go out there but it's not any safer, right? So there's, there's risk no matter what you choose. So that's kind of more how I see my story. But you asked more about my own roles. Yeah. Well, one of the main things that I do and what I love to do is um, serve at the Denver Women's Prison Correctional Facility here in Colorado, in Denver. And I haven't been able to do that since March because it's been on lockdown. But I'm sure probably starting in November, December, I'll be able to again. And again, it's just listening it's allowing space for people to pray, to have a conversation, to read devotionals. And the women that are there themselves create the um, program. They decide if they want testimonies, if they want scriptures. Essentially, me being there and a couple other people being there help, the, help to facilitate the, the meeting part of it. But they organize what it's going to look like. So that's something that I really love to do.
1: At what point did you feel like that call towards shepherding?
2: Shepherding? Um, I guess in 5 Iron. I mean, I didn't set out to be a leader, but it's a weird thing when you're in a band, um, especially a Christian band. And in the beginning, we were a missional Christian-based band where people look to you for answers, for advice, for support, for prayer. And whether or not you want to be a quote-unquote pastor, you are pastoring. You're in that role. You're reminding people of their worth. And so that's kind of it shows is where that started. And then at Scum of the Earth, the church that Five Iron started in 2000, that role became more apparent when more and more people, especially younger women, would kind of walk alongside me. And so the head pastor of Scum of the Earth started seeing this in me and started to give me more and more opportunities to lead and to pastor. And so I kind of stepped into that role probably in my early 30s at Scum of the Earth Church
1: and are there are there roles that you're taking now beyond just the prison ministry like
2: yeah i i am also pastoring at um an apartment church so this concept um was inspired by this organization in texas and we we do it here in colorado where we have quote unquote churches that are in apartment complexes and trailer parks and so um in the apartment complex there are two apartments in this huge complex, there's about 300 apartments, so tons of people. And two apartments have been donated for the past 10 years. One is a church, one is a youth group. And so, yeah. And so the bedrooms are, um, one bedroom is a food bank and one bedroom is a clothing bank. And so anybody in the apartment complex, whether you go to church or not, can come and get clothes, can come and get food, We have homework help every Monday. We have birthday parties once a month for any kid who has their birthday that year. And I did the birthday parties for the first couple of years until I decided kids, I was kind of getting overwhelmed by kids. So the past couple of years since then, now I do preaching on Sunday and um, distributing of, of food and clothes. So it's a really amazing program and yeah, it's just, it's awesome and it's surreal. It is surreal to see the men and women and especially kids at that complex know that they can come to the, they call it the church, you know, it's the church and they can come and get things that they need and get support and just come and hang out.
1: That's awesome.
2: Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's the first time I went, it was very bare bones. There's about, you know, 15 people in a living room, really terrible worship music on guitar. Um, The old ladies kind of bring the potluck of like weird deviled eggs and baked goods and, And I just felt peace and I felt loved. And I've been there for, I don't know, maybe four or five years. And my role has changed through the years. I started doing the kids, like I said, but when you have your own kids and you're trying to be a blessing to kids and you find yourself accidentally slipping into the disciplinarian role, that's when you're like, oh, I shouldn't do this. We need someone more fun. (laughs) I don't have enough energy. And the problem with, sorry, yeah. No, 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 go ahead. I was just going to say the problem with the apartment church and the problem with, um, I guess one of the struggles is to get people in their 30s and 40s to come to church. Because the older people are coming and the kids, their parents shoo them out to go, right? To youth group and to Sunday school. But it's hard to get people my age to come and it's been a challenge. So that's the struggle. I feel like parents are loving that break from their kids, but how do we get them to come? So it's been interesting now during COVID is we are outside under the trees and the shade. So whether they want to or not, they're passing by on their way to get groceries or passing by when they take out the trash. There's church happening in their front yard. And so we'll see what happens.
1: That's been one of the things I've seen in my own like pastoral role is that usually the people my age in this general bubble don't arrive back in the church life until their world's fallen apart. Mm. Like, and that's, that's more often than not what I see in like the mid thirties and mid forties range. It's like, once you get to, I'm raising my kids and finding out where I'm at with my career, that it's going to take things falling apart for me to get there. So Mm. that sounds like a real blessing though. I would literally love to see that in action.
2: I love it. I do love it. The trailer parks have it a little harder because they don't have the apartments donated and they sometimes have a clubhouse, but usually they don't. So they meet outside And in Colorado, that's really hard. So there's kind of a season where homework help can happen and Sunday school can happen. And then there's a struggle. So if it weren't for the two families at the apartment church donating their apartments for free that they bought, um, we'd be out of luck too. So it's, it takes the generosity of a lot of people.
1: So, With all that you've done, both musically and as a shepherd, and the things you've done, uh, say like two generations from now, what would you want your legacy to be? Like your, your I think,
2: yeah, I think legacy. I, I kind of wanna. Well, there was this weird idea I had. I used to always think, well, no one's going to marry me because I'm in Five Iron. I'm busy. I'm like, no, it's too too weird for most dudes. Like It was just wasn't normal, normal girlfriend. So I used to think during those times, if I don't get married, I'd like to end up like in Santa Fe, Wyoming with a weird colored house and big dogs learning how to write poetry and paint. And now that I'm married, my husband's super mellow and peaceful. That would be a cool life. My legacy would be a life of peace and of hope and of I just want to be one of those women that you meet and I have uh, wonderful wrinkles and gray hair. And you can say, wow, she really earned that um, look. She has a lot of peace, even though she's old. Like I want to guard it. I want, I would love, I would love an introverted season after five iron, maybe even just write a book. I don't know, but I think a legacy of, of, peace would be good I don't know how to explain that other than it's not necessarily what you do but who you are at the end of the day when people just look at you and go she is okay with who she is she likes herself that would be cool
1: that's a great legacy to have
2: I don't I think so I mean I don't I don't have accolades sometimes people are like oh you should write a book or oh you you could do a very successful podcast or you could hustle you could really hustle and do a lot more and I'm like you know I could hustle and do a lot more but I'm not I don't like that level of, you could call it work, but I don't like that level of busyness. I like to have a balance of output and input. And right now my life has a lot of output and um, not enough space just to relax. You know, I'm not not an easy person to relax. So that's something that I'm looking for down the road.
1: You know, you said you're not an accolades person, but... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What would you feel like has been, like, you talked about your your moment where you felt like you made that connection, that choice to, like, turn towards God, even in the the pain of everything with your brother. Um, Like, even on a professional level, like, as a musician, is there a moment where you look at and say, this is, like, your highlight moment?
2: Yeah, the highlight moments are the times when the band members forgive each other because there's a lot of struggle and there's eight of us, eight ideologies, eight political points of view, eight um, spouses to be considered, eight careers to consider. And it's hard and there are rifts and struggles. And so when when you're in this band, it's kind of like you're married to the band. They're your brothers, but you also aren't going to break up. You're not going to quit. And so how during the challenges are you going to get to that place of forgiveness, Of humility, of apology, those are the moments that are the the hardest to come by and you can't make happen, but the most rewarding. And so sorry, a little emotional. But when you can get to the other side of arguments, that's when I feel the most accomplished. Like I did it. Kind of like how you feel as a spouse when you've had a big argument, you don't see how you're gonna bridge that gap. After you guys have made up, it's like, wow, we're we're really gonna do it. So that's when I feel just that's That's the legacy.
1: Were there times uh, through Five Iron that you just felt like it was totally done, like that you weren't coming back?
2: There are times. I mean, there's basically been one time in particular that I wanted to quit, and that's because it was Thanksgiving. It was in the 90s. We were at a truck stop in the middle of nowhere, and I called my family, and I have a huge Mexican family, and they're passing around the phone, and they're eating tamales, and I'm like, crying cause some of the guys are fighting and I'm like, I could just call my dad to come pick me up at this truck stop and I could go home. But you know, that's not going to happen. It's, there's so much more to do. Uh,
1: I, I like personally remember like for me, like my, I started listening to five iron probably, uh, right when the, uh, the EP dropped the, um,
2: quantity, Quantity's Mm -hmm. job one, yeah.
1: Yeah, I just saw the new record pressing limited things, and I was like, in my head, I'd like got distracted by the (laughs) new thing, and I'm like, um, I uh, I I started around quantity, and um, I'd gotten some sampler disc from you know those things they used to send to youth groups, and it had Sucker Punch on it, and then I picked up Quantity, but uh, um, I remember like the first time that I had the chance to go see your band at that point in time was at like a Cornerstone north carolina okay yeah and that was the that was the tour you were announcing that the band was over and i literally just remember like oh no so like my first show i'm just like oh (laughs) like i carried that for but I was like one of the things that you guys have had such an impact on so many people and that even when everyone else thought it was over you've you've continued you've endured and um How do you feel about the whole Five Iron Frenzy Day thing in general?
2: Oh, the day? Yeah. Oh, I think it's cool. I think one of the things that's the coolest thing is um, I don't feel like we have a fan base. I feel like we have, I mean, it sounds so cheesy, but people say Five Iron fans and they just kind of shake their head like there's this kind of like, you know, oh, like the Grateful Dead fans or whatever. But we do have a family. Like, I'm, I'm filling in these add-on Kickstarter forms. Like, I have to fill them in and make sure that people paid. And it's it's a process right now on the computer. And I'm seeing people's names, and I'm going, oh, I wonder how he is. Oh, I wonder how she is. Oh, they got married. Those two fans got married. And so I I don't think of them like fans. I think of everybody as, oh, how is everybody? You know, like, we know a lot of the people now. When we go to a show, the majority of the faces at the merch table, we know a lot of them.
1: It just got older. So,
2: yeah. When you think of the five iron frenzy day, it's not just a celebration for us. It's kind of like in some ways people go, Oh, that's the day you broke up. But then that's also the day that we announced the Kickstarter when we got back together. So it's also our birthday. Um, yeah, I think the fans outside of the band need a reason to celebrate this phenomenon.
1: Do you, have, do you or the band in general actually do anything for five iron frenzy day individually?
2: No, I mean, I wish we could. Usually, we're all just working and doing real life. Maybe a couple posts. This last year, um, it wasn't Five Iron Frenzy Day, but it was actually happened to be the 25th anniversary of our first show. Okay. And and Reese had found the flyer, and Reese. Um, he just texted me and Brad and a couple of the guys and he was at the end of work. And so he lifted up a drink and he's, you know, and then I lifted up a drink and just everybody was kind of like saying hello. And then it turned out everybody was available to FaceTime. So we got on a call and then Scott who has like a job, a real job, right? He could get (laughs) us on a zoom and we even Keith, everybody, even Keith from back in the day, we zoom, we had a zoom call for three hours. And so we're all sitting at our, you know, tables. There's time zones because Dennis is, you know, in New Jersey and Sonny's in Southern California. Reese is in Virginia and the rest of us are here in Denver to where, you know, spouses are popping into the call. We're holding up our pets like just, you know, nobody wanted to go. It was just wonderful, a little emotional in some ways because we miss each other. And especially during quarantine, The, the benefit of being in this band is seeing each other. That's when we go to a show. Yeah, it's cool to play an awesome rock show that's sold out and open for MXPX and sell a thousand dollars worth of merch, right? Oh, everybody can roll their eyes at me now and say, You are such a spoiled brat. But another cool thing is everybody sitting in a booth at the same diner and eating food and having a beer and laughing and just after a while, like a third of the jokes are all inside jokes. It's like one liners that make no sense to anybody else. So I feel bad when there's other guests there, but that's just what we like to do. We just like to hang out with each other.
1: So back when I thought, you know, you guys were never coming back and that that wasn't going to be a thing. We made five iron frenzy day, a really big deal in our household. Oh, uh, uh, (laughs) okay. (laughs) um, It was like, and there was a couple times it actually happened like right on or around Thanksgiving.
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah.
1: And, but uh, like my, I've got three kids, 12 through seven. And mm-hmm. so my kids were raised that they didn't know other families didn't celebrate <laughs> five iron frenzy day. Um,
2: oh, That's messed up.
1: <laughs> they they just thought everybody did this. And wow, um, yeah, but like we would uh, specifically do milk in a bag pinatas wow. with five irons. Uh, we would do the bacon bits and jalapenos, bullish hot dogs. Wow. The, we, we did the whole thing. It was literally like a small Thanksgiving and all of my, uh, friends that grew up listening to five iron as well, we'd come have like a Thanksgiving esque meal. And so, you know, that was a big deal. Um, we were having our five iron frenzy day dinner, um, when the Kickstarter was announced.
2: Yeah. The first time
1: and the, with the first go round. And like, literally there was like, I'm watching a room full of like 30 year old adults, just weeping,
2: like just so
1: excited about that. So
2: And the song came out and it was a good song and it was a hopeful song. Hope still flies.
1: Oh yeah. It's like, I still, yeah, I still get goosebumps. Like with that song. I love it. Um, How did you expect the reaction? Like as a band, did you expect that reaction?
2: No, no, not at all. In fact, I remember having the conversation. We were deciding how much to ask for and how long we were going to ask for it. And so I said, People someone said thirty thousand dollars to make the album and I was like, Oh gosh, that's an embarrassing amount to ask for, but okay, let's try it. We do need it. We do need it because we have to fly to New York and stay there and ride the train and the equipment and the recording and all this stuff, right? And then we were like, well, we should we do 30 days or 60 days? And I'm always the person that's like kind of cautious, and I was like, it's gotta be 60 days because I'm not gonna raise it. And and then when when it first happened, my daughter was about she was young, she was maybe four or five. And she had the flu. And so she was puking on the floor, like she had the flu. And I would clean up, puke, and then I'd hit refresh on my laptop, and I would see that the amount had gone up like 5,000 bucks each time. And I was like crying and kind of like, what? Like laughing and crying. And my phone was off the hook. And yeah, it's just same thing this time. It was kind of like 31 minutes, and my phone, you know, just brrr, all these messages text, Instagram, Facebook, email, everything is just, you're just maxed out. Can't get to everybody all at once; it gets crazy. I th-
1: I followed a lot of kickstarters at that, but at that point in my life, and I had never seen that happen on that level with anything. And I, you know, just generally wondered if you guys were as surprised as everyone else.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely! In fact, we're so surprised that we had to keep coming up with new pledge items because we were sold out. It's like, what else can we do? Oh, we'll do this. What else can we do? Oh, we'll do this. Oh, what else? started getting weird. Like, oh, we'll write personal silly songs for people. Just people keep giving money. We have to come up with something. So this time it was kind of like, all right, we're not going to go insane. Like, let's do a lot of unlimited quantity things. Because if we sell out of t-shirts, then we have, we have to come up with more things. So it kind of felt like let's do unlimited quantity of some things and then figure out realistically what we can do without burning out.
1: Um, With the new album came you guys touring again. Um, You know, not as much, obviously, but some. uh, What was your favorite experience in the new birth of touring?
2: Absolutely. It was touring with Real Big Fish. They asked us to go out for 20 days it ended up being 22 days, I think, with all the travel. And I didn't think we'd be able to really tour again because we'd been doing flyouts because of everybody's jobs. But somehow, miraculously, we all got the time off of work and everybody was able to do it. And we rented a bandwagon, which was kind of like our school bus, except for we could take turns driving it and have a little shower and a bathroom, which was awesome. That is awesome. And yeah, we got to do 20 days opening up for Real Big Fish and the Beautiful Bodies was on that tour. And uh, yeah, it was just, it was... It was something that I didn't think we'd get to do again and getting to see all those cities. We got to even play in Canada, just awesome. It was amazing.
1: I think for me, uh, cause the, one of the first shows you guys played back at that point was in Orlando yeah. and, um, a bunch of friends drove from North Carolina to Orlando. And that was like just the road trip to get there
0: mm-hmm. was
1: one of the best experiences. But I think with the new tour, uh, I drove down to, a murray hill
2: yep jacksonville,
1: and, and jacksonville. Murray hill theater yeah and um just like you know that was exciting in general but like when you guys opened up with the doctor who theme song just for the <laughs> yeah. walkout um that's like i was like my nerd inside was yeah. like rejoicing <laughs> i was so pumped um yeah and uh i actually we named one of our kids after a doctor who character so that's oh. just so that's like a a big nerd family thing for us and actually made friends at that show that have been friends since that actually meeting at that show. So it was pretty,
2: that's awesome.
1: Um, Are there, you know, not that I need specifics or anything. Do you guys have tour hopes for
2: nothing? Nothing is planned now. I mean, we all in the industry and I'm talking, we all in the industry, everybody from, you know, the people that would sell the merch to the booking people to the uh, guitar techs, everybody, everybody sound, sound techs, everyone has to wait. And so maybe, you know, fall 2021, we don't know, we just have, it has to be safe, and it has to be done correctly. I know that some people are doing social distance shows now. But one of the main concerns for us is that two of the members of our band, Reese and Sonny, work in the health field. And so we need to make sure that they stay safe, that the people they work with are safe, the people that are, you know, married to compromised people. My husband and I live with his parents, they're in their 70s. And so it's just, we're just waiting. There's no big rush. We can wait. In the meantime, we can just write some pretty good songs. That's good. Yeah. But I am bored, dude. I'm so bored. I would love to play shows. You asked about one of the favorite things. The favorite thing was the real big fish tour, but the second favorite thing has been getting to open up and play with MXPX because mm-hmm. back in the day, in the 90s, we never really knew them. We knew them just a little bit from a couple shows, but at festivals, we were usually played at the same time as them so that it wouldn't get too big of a crowd and so back in the day i didn't know them so getting to know them more now and work with them and their professionalism and their their team the team that runs mxpx shows that are you know behind the scenes amazing people so i do miss you know it feels like a tight little crew and i love that i love how um i guess i would say how professional and how um how hard of workers that band really is it's it's makes us really have to step up our game
1: okay yeah i you know that's the thing the mx px community has always been really tight and um mm-hmm. and i i actually appreciated seeing them with you guys and with that do you have any ba- are there any bands that you haven't played with that you would hope to play with like in in a perfect no. world where we're not yeah. dealing with
2: uh, we are the Union is one of those new up-and-coming ska bands they're uh, they're nerds too and they wear their heart on their sleeve and a lot of their lyrics and they're they're I guess some bands have ideologies that come with them kind of like us it's like you want to celebrate joy but you're also um, singing about the challenges and so they're one of those bands that just go off on stage and I saw them at a you know smaller club and I loved it and I would love to play with them Okay. But I, but I want to play with them somewhere where it's okay to crowd surf because I know I would want to. All right. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> what, like, outside of just what y'all are recording now, um, what, what are you excited about musically? Like, what do you like to listen to?
2: Um, I mean, I like to listen to a lot of Desmond Decker and some of the old school ska stuff. Uh, I like... I like Foles. They're kind of more of a, a ethereal rock band. I like listening to a lot of 80s stuff like Bananarama, old Cindy Lauper. I still like Pat Benatar, all that old rock and chick stuff, uh, Kate Bush. Um, I don't know. There's, I do like Bad Religion. I really do. And I don't agree with all their lyrics, but what I appreciate about Bad Religion is, and this is kind of what I was talking about, like one of the mantras of my life is is faith is fluid. And so when I listen to one of their songs, sometimes it helps me recognize what I don't believe by challenging me with a new point of view. And so I'm not afraid of listening to different kinds of things. And I just love the way that their songs are, they're thematic, but they're also pretty cryptic. And I like that. I like those kind of anthem songs. Um, yeah, that's mostly the kind of stuff that I listen to. I I listen to a lot of the same stuff over and over. I'm one of those people that just back to the basics, oingo boingo, like all the time, like the tightness of those horns, how amazing they sound. They're just beautiful. Like they still inspire me and the weird time signatures can't get enough of oingo boingo.
1: Phrases you don't hear every day.
2: <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> um. So just, you know, just kind of wrapping up. What, what are you excited most about the new project? Like,
2: yeah, I think that the new songs have a lot going on texturally. I think that after being in the fast feeling and hearing how Scott puts a lot of different emphasis on um, synthesizer and pedal sounds and even just with the horn sometimes running us through effects, I feel like this album is going to merge the old with the new very well. Like Engines started to do that, but this is the next progression. And when you add the lyrics and the angst and the... Um, just the the energy. I think this album is like engines number two. I think it's going to take it to the next level. And I'm really excited for fans to hear this song, these songs because they have a lot of um, passion, I would say.
1: Okay. Is there anything like you've seen so far that is there, I know you don't have all the songs done or anything like that, but like, do you, is there anything that, as one song that seems most promising to you or anything?
2: No, because here's the weird thing about five iron. Like you don't know what people are going to latch onto until you put it out there. It always happens every time, you know, you know, there's certain songs that I think are going to be, you know, oh, this is the one and people gravitate toward a different one. So there's going to be the old school ska stuff, you know, that really kind of mid tempo, there's going to be the nostalgic, almost Weezer-esque Jimmy world kind of big chorus, you know, pop kind of vibes. There's going to be the angsty punk kind of vibes. There's everything, you know, there's the political, giving the finger to the man kind of songs. We always have all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, I always, you know, wait to see what people are going to like. You never know. And it's, it's not always the same people. Some people are very turned off by some of our themes and they're like, Oh, I wish you guys would just stick to the happy stuff. And I'm like, we never stuck to just the happy. Where have you been? So I think it's going to be interesting. Again, there's going to be controversy once again. It's just the same old thing over and over, but that is okay. There's, you know, there's, there's plenty of songs. People can find what they like and skip what they don't.
1: Well, that's one of the things that always threw me so far just when growing up with five iron was the, the concept that as a band, you address things that literally no one was addressing, not even just in (laughs) Christian music. Like, um, I remember being in like a college sociology class and playing okay. the day we killed and like, like we didn't talk about this in school.
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like,
1: no one brought right. this up. Um, right. And I, I remember-
2: agree. I agree. I think that it's, it's very nuanced. Like why do you have three or four songs about native American rights? And I'd be like, well, Reese was interested in that. He is interested in that. Like you write about what you're interested in. And so, there's no rhyme or reason. We're not like we're getting a kickback or any any Native American tribes have asked us to come play. It's just, hey, this is what we're into.
1: Well, the town that I live beside and a town I used to pastor in is um, primarily Native American. Mm. Um, so I would actually play, you know, those songs specifically for right. my youth group. And like uh-huh. we'd have a whole things with that. Um, So that was just always something that stood out to me. Uh, Anything else you'd want to share just with anyone that sees or hears this?
2: No, I'm just really grateful. And I think that there's always room for our band to grow. There's always room for questions. There's always room for doubts. There's always room for conversation. Let's try to be people that don't burn bridges, but that are open to sitting in the awkward and even in our own in our own, you know, stories and in our own process saying, I don't know, that is going to be okay. Um, Yeah, and let's try not to be the kind of people that are Pharisees that are about to get our heads chopped off for saying, oh, I've got it all figured out. I mean, if anything, we should know by now that we don't know. (laughs) So yeah, I appreciate uh, your the Faith and Fandom podcast. I've loved your books; they're very interesting, and I make my kids read them because I'm like, "This is everything you're into." So super cool. Keep doing what you do.
1: Thank you so much.
2: You're welcome. Talk to you cool. later. All right, see you later.
0: We hope you enjoyed this special presentation of a podcast from the Love Thy Nerd community. This was Faith and Fandom. By Hector Mirai, a familiar voice, of course, here on Love Thy Nerd. But this is his personal passion project that has in, actually involves several different avenues of ministry, not just the podcast. So you can find him on Facebook. Just search for Faith and Fandom. And then join us again this Friday for another special presentation and another spotlight of another podcast from the Love Thy Nerd community. It's an opportunity to branch out a bit from the Love Thy Nerd Podcast Network and see some amazing content that's out there that you might be missing.